Hi, this is Danielle Grissa from The Jealous Curator, and this is dun, 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 episode 200 of Art for Your Ear. Wow, 200. When I started this podcast, I just thought it'd be kind of cool if I got to 10 episodes. Now, before we go any further, clearly I have to say thank you all so much for listening and for sending me so many messages all the time to say how much you love listening. Seriously, your enthusiasm is contagious and inspires me to keep recording week after week. So thank you guys so much for that. So what to do for episode 200? That question has been floating around in my head for quite a while. I couldn't just let it go past the big 200 without making a bit of a to-do, right? So I put it out to you guys on Instagram and I got all sorts of suggestions. A lot of you said you thought someone should interview me, which felt really weird (laughs) until I thought of the perfect someone. This particular someone has changed my life and I am so grateful to the universe for connecting us. Can you guess who it is? Yep, New York-based artist and my in tandem partner, Peta Coyne is hosting Art for Your Ear today. <laughs> she sent me her list of questions and she is ready to get into the nitty gritty. Guess which question she started with? Was I an artsy kid? <laughs> yeah, Peta knows the drill. I think she's actually gunning for my job. Anyway, we had our usual in tandem call set up already, so I just started recording a little bit early before the official interview started so that you kind of get a behind the scenes um, about how PETA and I talk about our work. And so today we were talking about what I'm doing at the moment. All right, here we go. Episode 200 of Art for Your Ear, hosted by the fabulous coin. I've been down here every day for like five to eight hours a day and lots of stuff has gotten thrown away. I think I was messaging with you and I said I just tore everything apart. I remember that yeah. Yeah I I had all these like saint things going. I had Queen Victoria in there. I had whatever and everything was just feeling kind of old and dirty and not like me and it didn't feel like I always like things that have a bit of a wink and things that have like graphic design element to them just because Mm -hmm. of my history as a designer. And I felt like all of that was getting muddled. So I was feeling very muddled and I was like, ah, this is not. So then I was like, do I bring my little tiny cutout people back in? So I was playing with that. And then I was like, no, no, that's not the right thing. And then, so I just started doing these experiments with trying dipping this in this color and dipping this here. And, um, broke everything apart and tried it in different ways. And I was, and then I was like, all right. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Now. Yeah. So I haven't like, I was about to start gluing. I bought all my, you know, super. That's where duper. I left you. Yes. That's where I left you. I said, I'm about to start gluing. I glued yeah. one piece together and it was hated it. And I was like, hold on, this is my project. Like, I don't have to glue it down and be done if I'm not happy with it. And I remember again, when we first started talking, you were like, you said something about you at a show coming up and you were like, yeah, I only have two years to get ready. And I was like, two years. 
seems like our room. <laughs> and, and now, like, I'm coming up on a year of playing around with this stuff, right? And I'm like, oh, now I got it. <laughs> Oh, you're so funny. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> but the way you did it's like, boy, is she old and slow. <laughs> All right, Peta, take your two years if you need to. I don't Get know. Get that walker going. Get that walker going. <laughs> no, I didn't mean that, but I was just like, no, but it's so years. funny. It's such a oh. funny image. It's like, okay. <laughs> But it's so true. And just to give myself the time to experiment and the time to change my mind yeah. and the time I've never done that. Isn't I've always, that I've always just like, almost like first done idea. Out. Yeah. Yeah. And because I wasn't focusing on selling any of this stuff, you know, and I don't have a show lined up. Um, uh, it's good. Really it's been good. And at first yeah. that was really throwing me off because then, then when you're alone in here, you have those moments of what is the point? Nobody will ever ask me to show again. Yeah. I'll and like, who's never ever going to see this? What's the point? And all this money I'm spending, all this time I'm spending, nobody's even going to see this stuff. What's the point? And then oh, you just wait, you just wait. I keep telling you this. I keep telling and these, and you're just making like leap upon leap upon leap and just wait. You just wait. You just wait. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Daniel, I saw this huge spark in your work the first time I saw it. And I know, I, I know, I can, I, I always know what you can, anybody knows, you know, you see those sparks in people oh, yeah. and you see it in their work. And then, and you even interviewed some people where you saw it right out of school. And then it was like, bam, you know, and you're like, okay. Uh, and then they just took off and it's, and there's something, you know, it was like that one curator, you know, that, that made me wait so long. And I'm really glad she did because I hibernated for, for me, it was a, it was a really long time. I'm not going to tell you, but you know, it was just a long time. And also because I was working so much to make enough money to live. But, um, but those are things that are super important where you're just working and working and working to uh, really till you find your way in a certain thing. And then even after that, you have to find your way with each thing, but you get closer and closer and closer until you kind of know, okay, I go, and it sounds stupid, but you go here in your body and that's kind of where you springboard from. And I don't know if you've quite gotten there yet. You, you're working with your uterus because that's where you, you've been really hurt and damaged. But later on, it may not be that in your body. Right. It may be somewhere else that you have all your emotional pitch from, which might be a different place. But now that you're starting to work here, um, which is really interesting, you you might um, you might start to pay very close attention when you're looking at your work, and you're trying to figure out when you're working and you're looking at your thing and you're just thinking about it. I want you to, especially when you first come in the room, right, mm -hmm. and you're fresh. Don't be thinking about anything else. Go in 
thinking about looking at your work critically. And when you do that, see if you can tell not only if your work is good or bad or it needs to be worked on more because only you have 15 seconds. And then all what happens after that is you go, oh, but it took me so long to do. And um, I don't really want to change that part of it because that took me 15 hours and it cost me four gallons of paint and caught it. Oh, I'd have to rip it all apart and you, all this other stuff comes in. And I really do love that part of it and that'll get messed up and I'll never be able to do that again. Just that first 15 seconds. And when you're doing that, you'll notice it comes from maybe here in your body. Some people say it comes up here in their throat. When you, and it's very soft at first, you almost don't feel it. And when you do that enough, first you have to concentrate on what you're saying, but you feel this like impact, right? And once you start to notice where that is, you can actually go there when you're making your work and you can access it. And it, it cuts down on time when you're like, go to your studio, you can almost sit in it and work from that point of view. And it's like, you can cut down hours when you're trying to think, ah, oh, I'm stuck. You can just go there and it's like, it's like you're on a sleigh ride to, you know, that place where, where we're, when we're working and all of a sudden we're in that zone. Mm, it's like a fast it's track a, to the zone. It's a fast track to the zone. Mm. It's really amazing. And, and everybody has it in a different place. Men can access it, but not like women. And I think it's because we have to know our body so much better because of our periods and because of our, I guess I've never given birth. You guys, because you've given birth, probably are even more attuned. But because I had so much, um, I, I had cancer and I had those, what you had, the, the fallopian tubes. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And I had, um, and I worked with so many cancer patients and watched their surgeries and did all the healing stuff with them. So I'm very tied into the body, but see if for you, because you've had this damage, if it will always stay there or Danielle, if it's somewhere closer to your heart, um, I don't know for you, but I wonder, I wonder if it will be closer to your heart mm. in the end, because you're so sensitive. And I wondered that when I saw that picture of you um, laying on the laying when you were talking about, maybe you weren't talking about it, but when you did all the stripe pictures of your family with the stripes. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you were in almost the yeah. fetal position. <laughs> yes, that was our Christmas card. Yeah. And I thought you were protecting your heart. And, and even though I'm sure it was comfortable for your, what you'd had damage, I thought, oh, I wonder if it's her heart that she will eventually go to, uh, to protect, um, because so babies are protect their heart. And I thought, oh, I wonder if she's, because I knew you'd been so wounded by that teacher 
Mm-hmm. And I thought, I well, it's so interesting. Whenever I have um, any, like, I took a huge deep breath when you were just talking about that because I, I tend to, um, if I have any anxiety or whatever, it's always in my chest. It's always right at my heart, you know, like that's, yeah. And like after my dad died, um, probably for at least six months, I I couldn't take a deep breath. Like it was, everything was so wrapped up in the middle of my chest, right? Like it was just like where I was holding everything. It's so interesting that you would. I wonder if that's where all your all your emotion is that's where that's maybe where you're going to feel everything Mm. that's That's what I think because as you're saying that I was like I can almost yeah I can that as you started saying I wonder where it'll be in your body I could just feel it right in the middle of my chest that'll be that's and I just when I saw that picture of you Mm. I thought oh my god I bet you it's going to be her heart area her chest yeah. You are a just, magical being, Peta. I now <laughs> now I picture us being on a yoga retreat in Bali. There we go. Oh, wouldn't that be so <laughs> wouldn't fun? Wouldn't that be amazing? Oh, oh, I would love that. I would so love that. That one would day. be so can you imagine. Yes, I can. I can too. Yes. Okay, there. Totally. We've we better do our interview. Yeah, and I'm I'm gonna keep on going in this direction because I'm very, very happy. Oh. You are. And I forgot to tell you, I bought some smaller panels that I'm going to hang near the bigger panel. So, um, and I might attach them with pearls, or I might attach them with something so that it is the idea of kind of like all the cysts and everything that are all contained. Because I'm really, I love my panels. I've got a few that stand free in the middle of the room, but Peta, I love my panels. Well, that's, that's your, that is your go-to start. And yeah. why shouldn't they be on panels? Well, see, and, and starting right, there and they nice move out. That's right. So I've got things that are connected to the wall, but then through if, with, um, uh, you remember those old ashtrays, like from the sixties or seventies that were like on stands? Yes. Yes. I, I just found one at my local thrift shop. So oh my I'm thinking God. of having that right in the middle of the room and then having all the things attached to the hat. That'd be cool. That would be so amazing. I know. So anyway, all these cigarettes. Yeah. No, I my my, Charlie said to me the other day. I said, "Do you think it's kind of weird that I just go down into the basement and make cigarettes all day?" He's like, "What? what, Like, how many do you have now?" And I said, "Probably over a thousand And he was like, "What?" He's like, "Okay, that is a little weird." No, it's not. I said they all have a place. Well, he's fourteen, so I said they all have a place, and they're all going to go in different different sculptures. He's like, "Oh, okay." I thought you were just randomly making them without a plan. I was like, "No, no, no." Kids today, am I right? Kids today, Uh, you just can't trust him. You can't listen to him. Okay, you just can't. I'm going to just get a Kleenex, and we're going to start. Okay, I'm very excited about this. At least he doesn't have a mother who. Oh no, no, no collects dead fish. That would be the worst, the worst (laughs) dead fish. Oh my God. Let me just get a Kleenex and we are on our way, girlfriend. Okay. Don't be nervous. Well, this is great. You can always edit, you know, my 
my husband, what's your husband's name? Greg. <laughs> Greg <laughs> okay. can edit anything. <laughs> we can take out anything you don't like. Isn't that what you always That's say? That's what I always say. Down. Yes. Oh, gosh. And you sent me your list of questions, just like I, I know. sent people. Just, so I know. I said, oh, Jessica, we've got to send this list to her. <laughs> well, you did such a good job. And I was like, are you trying to steal my job? I, I, I looked at your questions and I said, oh, I've got to start with her questions. She'll be so impressed. I said, I have to do this. <laughs> I can't not have questions for you. We can't just kind of wander. Okay. Wow, so. That is how we roll. But okay. Okay. I'm ready. Okay, so Thank I'll you so much for having me. Oh, you're okay. Sorry. I don't mean to. That's how I, I don't mean start. to take over. Okay. Go ahead. Yes. Please. Don't take over. I'm sorry. Please. But you can take over anytime you want. All right. So, oh, well. Good afternoon, Danielle, Krissa. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I'm so honored to have you here. And it, I've been so excited to do this. And it, I can't believe that it's been two months. I really can't I don't since we talked. It's amazing. Mm. And this is going to be so exciting because there's so much I actually don't know about your background. And so... Here we go. Okay, we ask are on away. a roll. Mm -hmm. All right. The Barbara and Walters there... of art of art interviews, <laughs> Peter Point. <laughs> is there anything that's off grounds? Because that would be the first thing I'd like to ask you. <laughs> no, I'll bring it on. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, first of all, I'd like to ask you about your childhood, if you don't mind. <laughs> and um, were you an artsy kid? What do you think? Well, I would think you were, but you know, you might not have been, you might've gotten it later in life. I or, know. I'm all, I'm, so, I'm sometimes surprised when people say, no, they didn't start with it. No, I was like, I came out of the womb looking for paint. Painting with yeah. the paintbrush. Yeah. My mom was a painter still is. And she said that she put me in my high chair. She said, she said, you weren't even, well, she probably would claim I was like three months old, but she said, I was just over a year, I think. And remember those old pucks of paint you could get those? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. And so she gave me the primary colors and just put them down in blocks. And she said, you mixed every secondary color. Oh, <laughs> did said, you? I just thought, oh, she's a genius. And uh, <laughs> my mom had a studio. Every house we ever lived in, my mom had a studio. And she had all of her supplies in like a fishing box, a tackle box. Oh, I loved, I still yeah. have mine. So you can unfold them and they'd be stuck. Yes. And she would give me like oil pastels when I was two. <gasps> That's no. super dangerous and messy for a two-year-old to have oil. Like that could be on your wall. That could be on your couch. But no, I was so much more interested in getting it on the paper that she let wow. me do whatever. Yeah. So I was... I entered every coloring contest our grocery store had. And oh, my dad, every time I, my dad traveled a lot for work when I was little, and he would always buy me craft um, books, like step-by-step. Step. Well, oh, like those wonderful. books that would tell you how to make it. So for a while, I don't think I've, I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the podcast. I was very into stumpkins, which are essentially little people made of old uh, nylons and fiber fill. <laughs> I don't know what they are. No is this just Canadian? No, my dad found this book so at an airport, probably um, on his way home, and brought me this. And I, I just was instantly like, I must make one. I, in my life, have probably made like four hundred of them. 
<gasps> everyone I knew got one as a gift and you, and then I would theme them. Right. So I've done an Easter bunny one and a Santa one. And then my boyfriend in high school is really into kiss. Remember the band kiss. Yeah. So I made course. him a Gene Simmons one and a Paul Stanley one with the star. And they're these fat, I'll put a picture in the thing. They're like these fat, chubby <laughs> little, like naked little, you sew their bums. So they have a little bum and they've got little fat toes. And I could still make, I could, I could grab thread, fiberfill and an old nylon and make one right now. I know them from memory. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And they, and they're kind of scary looking. Scary, but also very sculptural. Very <gasps> sculptural. Peter. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. So you were painting and making sculpture. Oh, and yeah. what age did you start to make these delightful dolls? <laughs> I, I was probably maybe 10 when he bought me that book. But I was my mom taught me how to sew when I was really little. So I would, um, I made lots of my own stuffed animals just by stitching probably when I was, you know, five or six. Um, I wrote my first kid's book, wrote and illustrated my first kid's book under a tree when I was seven. Um, Do you have these things still? No, my parents have moved so many times that everything, they just kept downsizing. Yeah. Oh, what a mom is not sentimental at all. So she's just oh. like, yeah, we don't need this. Oh, wouldn't that have been fun to have had some of those I things? know. Although the high school boyfriend told me a couple of years ago that he went, his mom was moving. And so he went home to clear out his old high school room and the the Gene Simmons stumpkin oh, was still there. Oh, oh what a ride. And he was like, oh my God, <laughs> I've got to take this. And his wife was like, oh, hell no, that's not going in our house. Oh, did he give it back to you? He threw it away. Oh, oh. hence being an ex-boyfriend. There's no way Greg would ever throw away a stumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> but when my X, dad, X. yeah, exactly. But when my dad passed away, there was um, a stumpkin in his desk drawer that I had made when oh. I was really little. Oh, so they're everywhere. That... Yeah, they're everywhere. Oh. And uh, I said to Greg the other day, I was like, oh my god instead of making thousands of cigarettes, maybe I should start making thousands of stumpkins, um, oh. call it art. And like, really, but really Charlie would put me in a special home, I think. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> but when you start getting asked for benefit gifts, which you will, stumpkins will be the name <laughs> of the game. They'll, okay. You'll just sign the bottom of them or put yeah. a little tag on them and name oh. them orphan so-and-so, orphan yeah. so-and-so, send them out into the world. So <laughs> I'll send well, you a picture. I know. And yeah. did your, did your family, they, did they, in, because your mother was an artist, did she encourage you to become an artist or did she encourage no. you? Yeah. I was going to say no. no, no was the big word. Yeah. My dad Why? had his PhD in science and he was the one that was encouraging me to become an artist. Oh, isn't that interesting? I think because he saw it in me and thought it was so wonderful and exciting. I think it's probably one of the things he loved so much about my mom and thought was because it's so different than him, you know, like, yes. so I think he thought it other was other side of the brain. Yeah. And so, but my mom, she was very encouraging in that she, you know, would put supplies in front of me 24 seven and whatever. But as I was starting to get older and there was more discussion of the future, I think she was really worried. She was nervous because when my dad was doing his PhD and I was a baby, brand new baby, I'm their first born all of their money came from my mom's painting sales. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. Your mom must be really She's good. really good. She's a watercolor painter and she, she was doing really well. And so, but it, she knew how hard it was. She knew what a hustle it was. She knew uh, all the stuff that went along with it. So when I was starting to seriously think about it, she, she never said anything, but I, you know, you know, your mom well enough that yeah. you can, you can yeah. see the worry. You can see the, um, yes. ah, the quake in her voice, you yes. know? So I did go to university for marine biology and wow. then, and then at the end of my first year, my dad phoned me and said, you need to switch to art because it's just oh. who you are and it's who you've been oh. your whole life. And, and I could hear my, my mom was on the phone too. And she didn't say what, but you could tell that she was like, Oh dear God. Oh, and did, did, um, where were you? Where was she that she was selling so many paintings? Was uh, she, what city was she in? They were Vancouver. in Vancouver. Yeah. Ah, ah. Yeah. And and um and what made your father call you at university when you were set in marine biology and say you should switch into art? I mean, were you unhappy? No, I was, and I was doing quite well. Um, I had good grades and stuff. My I was in. I went to the University of Victoria. Um, on Vancouver Island and my parents by that point had moved to Europe my dad was working for the Canadian embassy in Belgium wow how great yeah pretty cool I got to go there every Christmas and every summer oh wow you have a nice life it was well that was a very weird um job offer and he went for it and then I refused to go (laughs) he got the job offer well because it was heading into my last year of high school and I was like I want to graduate like I want to graduate with everyone I've been with my whole life right and so let me stay with friends of the family and they went off to Belgium and I had my last year of high school living with friends of the family and um so I talked to them every Sunday and then I'd go and visit them at Christmas and stuff and then when I went away to university same thing they were on the other side of the planet um so, but I would talk to them every Sunday night and I, I guess I had said enough times that when I, you know, when I wasn't in the mood to, you know, do biology homework, I was still drawing and painting and doing my usual Danielle stuff, you know, and then my dad, that's when my dad phoned with like maybe a month or two left to go in that first year and just said, you know, I really think you should think about switching into fine art for next year. Oh, wow. I just kind of couldn't believe it, but I was so excited, but I was all, cause I had just never even entertained the thought. I just thought going to art would be, I don't know, risky and frivolous. And I thought, don't I need to get a good job? You know, like, I remember saying to him, but, but dad, what about like food and rent? <laughs> and he said uh-huh. the best thing he's ever said that you will really appreciate. Cause you know how I get about money. He said, this is his quote do what you love and the money will come. And if it doesn't, you won't care because you'll be happy. Oh, wow. What a great man. What yeah. a great man. Yeah. God. So I switch. So every time I always start my, when I do talks and stuff, I always start with that story because to have a dad, a, a dad who encourages his little girl to go into art and be like a PhD science dad encouraging his kids go into art you know yes. so many stories where parents are like oh no 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 you're going to med school or no you're going to yeah. be married there's no way yes. you're doing art to have him say oh, but you have to do art to pull you out of the science yeah. and put you into the art yeah to say yes. this is where you belong 
Yes. What an amazing day. And do you, do you have brothers and sisters? Yep. I'm the oldest. And then I have a sister who's three years younger than me and a brother who's five years younger than me. Wow. And what do they do? <laughs> my sister contrast. is a lawyer. Oh. <laughs> very and good. My brother, um, he's such a cool guy. He's very bohemian. And uh, he ended up, he's love has loved plants his whole life. He ended up starting his own landscape business. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yep. That's so interesting too. So we very, very different. Yeah. Yes. When we all look really similar. Like when Greg, we'd been dating for a few months when he met them and uh, he like right away, he was like, Whoa, you guys look the same. And then we spent the weekend together. And at the end of the weekend, he's like, I can't believe you're related. Like he's like, you three of you are so different. And we grew up in the same house with the same parents. It wasn't like they were divorced and we were like lived apart. We all grew up in the exact same environment and we could not be more different. More different. Isn't yeah. that's lovely. That yeah. shows that your parents really allowed you to be what you are. Yeah. Well, my mom said that when we were little, like she said, you know, I was always making stuff. Jana, she said, I remember when Jan, my, the lawyer, she said when she was six years old, she said she was riveted by the federal election on TV. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Wanted to watch, wanted six to watch the election old? results come in at six. And so, of course, oh she went my. off and did political science and then law school and, you know, whatever. And then Cam, he um, used to help my mom in the garden. And I love this story. She said when he was two, he was outside toddling around on his own. And he starts screaming, mommy, mommy. She's thinking, oh, God, but, you know, what's happened? Run, running out, the first tulip had come up. And he was like, oh, the tulip. And oh look what he's doing, god. you know. So, oh my god, isn't that amazing? Right? Isn't so we that all amazing instinctually. So when I was pregnant with Charlie, I you know told that story to Greg, and I said we really have to pay attention to what this kid just loves doing, you know, right from the womb. Because yes. when he's 16, 17 and it's time to start looking at colleges, and he's like, oh, I don't know, we can say, yeah. well. What about, what about this? What about this? This was who you just were, you know? And so I think that's what my dad did with me with um, switching to art school. And I think it's what they did with both of them. Very like, yeah, saw us all very much as individuals and encourage us to go and be those people. And, and in Charlie, what did you see? Well, not that I want to send him off to Hollywood, but I really think he's going to, be like a director or like a screenplay writer or something, the stories he comes up with and like the, the way he orchestrates things. Like when he was little, he would do these little scenes. He would just make them up and he would make Greg and I do certain roles and stuff. And you had to be in a certain place when he was two. And if you yeah. didn't do it, he'd say cut. And he'd make you do it again. <laughs> oh my God. And I, it was always right before bedtime. And I was like, I said to Greg, you hit your fucking mark because I am so tired that I need to go to bed. And if you mess up this scene again and we have to do it again, this kid is never going to bed. You're going to be fired from <laughs> yeah. this family. Yeah. And he used to say, I remember one time where he was three and he was in the car seat, um, just the two of us driving. And there was some song on the radio. And he said, Mommy, what, what are those words at the end of a show? And I said, credits? And he said, yeah, this would be good credit music. Oh my goodness. Yeah. He's like listening and thinking. Yeah. Okay. And he's always just All on right. his own, right? And so anyway, I 
certainly do, don't want to push him into that world, you know. Um, the other thing he loved, dinosaurs. So maybe he'll be a paleontologist. Well, we're going to check in with you yes. in about 10 years. Perfect. And we'll I'll figure it out. Okay. okay. Now, here's a, um, here's a question. What was the first real piece of art that had a huge impact on your life that when you were young, like, do you remember seeing a, the a first real piece of art and that it really made something like you saw it and you were like, oh, you know, really was something huge. And would have probably been when you were young because your mom probably had a lot of Great yeah, art she did. She, well, and she would take us to a lot of galleries. Like her family is from Ottawa, so we'd go to the National Gallery. Oh, nice! But I don't really remember caring about that stuff. I guess because I didn't get to make it. Um, okay. I was more interested in getting to the gift shop to buy the kits, the, <laughs> the craft. <laughs> oh, kits. you're so cute! But I do remember very clearly being 14 and my mom having a solo show, and. I never really had much to do, you know, especially at 14, you're like, whatever, I'm just going to go to the mall with my friends. <laughs> but uh, she'd asked me to come and I, like help her do something. And um, she was just my mom. She baked cookies. She was an at-home mom, you know. But we got to this gallery and everybody was like running around like, oh, Judy, like, what can we do? What can, you know, like she was the star of this situation. She was the artist whose show was being hung. And I couldn't believe how much she knew, like, of course she did, but I just didn't see yes. my mom that way. And all of a sudden I saw her as this artist and I saw her work getting hung up, not just in our house, you know, but actually in this white walled gallery. And that, I mean, it gives me chills thinking about, it. I remember being like, Whoa, so cool. Like my mom is so cool. This world is so cool. You know, like I just had never yes. really seen it until that moment. And I remember thinking, ooh, I, I want to do this. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And then Thanks. I think the first time I had a really like big like <gasps> moment was um, when my parents lived in Belgium. It was so easy to hop on a train and, you know, three hours oh, in Paris and yes. whatever. When I oh. was, I think, 18, 17, maybe, uh -huh. um, my dad took me to um, Monet's house in Giverny oh and it wasn't seeing the work in person that was so much for me it was the I can't believe I'm standing where he stood oh isn't that you something? know it's not just from a book it's not just you know water lilies on an umbrella in a gift shop it's like whoa this is the pond and this is and I remember going the vista yeah and, and you're allowed to go through the house and I purposely you're not allowed to touch anything, but when the guard wasn't looking, I purposely touched the doorknob from the kitchen that led to the garden because I thought he must oh, have touched that a hundred times on his way out, right? So I touched it to get a little like zap of like creative Good and this was juju. This, yeah, and this was like right before I started in marine biology. Oh, isn't that so? You were feeling it the whole day, and yeah. had you looked at a lot of his paintings because your mother probably dragged yeah. you through the museum. Yeah, yeah. So you'd seen him, you knew yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. But and there it just, was but something, all the, you know, especially growing up in a tiny town, like it's like movies or like, and it just seems not like this doesn't happen to real people. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this is but just all like, of a sudden yeah, it is real. All of a sudden you're standing in it oh. and you're like, Oh my gosh, it just made it all so much more real. And, you know, having that memory of my mom being a real artist, having a show, like it just seemed like, um, attainable. Yes. You know, yes. but then I went off into yeah. marine biology. Well, you know, there was a lot packed in there, yeah. you know, you wanted to, you saw how much, how hard your mom worked and she let you know how hard she worked. And, and, uh, yeah, and I, I mean, I had good grades in high school in art and in biology and chemistry. So it just seemed more responsible, right? Like yeah. everyone, yeah. even the guidance counselors tell you it's, they don't tell you to go to art school. <laughs> they, yeah. They tell you to yeah. apply for yeah. science. Do and the other. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Gosh. Yes, absolutely. And you know, it's very unusual, I think for artists to also be really good at chemistry and science. I mean, well, I almost failed math if that helps. Uh Oh, Peter. Oh, you're back. I lost you for a second. Yeah. Phone came in and I just declined it. I don't know who it was. That was dramatic. Over. That was very dramatic, yeah. but that was quite exciting, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. We have to have a little bit of excitement, especially when we talked about math. Oh, yeah. oh isn't that interesting? We say math and the whole, the whole art podcast whole, shuts down. Yes. <laughs> so that was very exciting. And we said that you were so good in chemistry. Shoot. Okay. Yep. So that yep. was it. All right. Well, it's okay. not math um, for your ear, Peta. It's art for your ear. Okay. Art for your yeah. ear. Oh, gosh. Now, the last thing about the childhood in this section, I just wanted to say, um, your growing up years, you have this dead, amazing, drop dead, incredible eye. And few people have that. You know, there are some, uh, some curators. There's a few collectors that have it that I've seen. And you're also able to express yourself so beautifully with words. Where and who cultivated your eye and how did you learn to express yourself so casually cool? You are so casually cool the way you express yourself, which is so different than, than um, like, I don't know. You can express yourself like art forum or you know, like the New York Times, which is all quite interesting and different but you're casually cool i love the casually cool um where did you learn so where did you learn those two different things i don't know i think maybe it was because of i i hated art school so much mm-hmm. and it was so pretentious and not casually cool the way that we were told to talk about our art. Mm -hmm. So I purposely don't talk about art like that because it felt to me like it made it feel really um, elitist and exclusive and that, Mm -hmm. that I needed like, you know, an MBA to or an MFA to even understand, you know, I, so I just never wanted to read art forum. You had to have an MFA. Yeah. Or, or even okay. in a critique to be able to talk about anything, you were supposed to talk in this very um, academic way. And I just never felt comfortable like that. I've always been a goof. I've always been funny and <laughs> silly and, um, that was sort of beaten out of me in those years. And, Mm. um, 
So when I actually started the Dallas Curator, I don't know if, I guess I didn't tell you this, the first post I wrote, because I was like, ooh, I'm writing it. I'm writing an art blog. My first <laughs> post was all like society's view of the blue, blue, blah, blah, blah. Oh, no. And I showed it to Greg. I'm like, okay, I'm ready with my first post. And he was just went, oh, no, 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 oh, no, 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 don't no, do that. No. Don't do that. Oh. Like, this is how you're supposed to talk about art. And he goes, but don't, he's like, that's not how you talk. He said, you, the difference between this art blog and every other art blog or magazine or whatever out there, he said, the only difference is you. So he said, you have to talk the way you talk and you have to, you know, and so the next post I wrote was, you know, I always use this as an example. If I see a piece of art that I love and I think in my head, sweet Jiminy, I love that. In the post, <laughs> I write, sweet Jiminy, I love this, you know, because it's just, I have to be true oh. to the voice, my voice, because yes. I'm the only one in the world with this voice. And so yes. whenever anybody asks me advice about starting a blog or, start, you know, starting anything, I, I, their own, like creating their own visual vocabulary, their own artistic voice, I always say, don't try to be anybody else except you because you're totally and completely unique. The way you think, the way you, the things you like, the things you don't like, like you just have to embrace all of that. And I mean, it's taken till my late forties to, you know, piece that all together. but. Um, I talk to students a lot and I try and like save them, mm. you know, I mm. try and give them the fast track to the zone, so to speak. Like here, let me save you 20 years of trying to copy <laughs> everybody else. Like just really figure out your voice and what you like. And, and I don't know where my eye comes from. I just like what I like. Wow. Oh, I don't know where that, I, I mean, I also worked in design. You and I both worked in advertising mm -hmm. and design for a long time. And mm -hmm. I think being a creative director and like, having to choose illustrators and photographers to work with or figuring out ways to communicate visually, you have to, again, you get quick at it because you can eliminate things in your mind quickly. Like I just did a logo for a friend and I don't have to try 400 fonts because I can already eliminate 395 mm -hmm. of them because I know mm -hmm. they're not gonna work for that you know, brand mm -hmm. or company. So I think it's the same with art. I just I know what I like. I know when things look like when sometimes the worst part is when I find artists whose work I love, but it's not quite there. Yeah. You know, when it's just like, Ooh, if they just tightened this part up or, Oh, you know, like, and you know that they'll probably get there. Can you just encourage them? Yeah. Sometimes until, I will reach out to yeah. people and say, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go. <laughs> oh, people are going to know. Okay, people on Instagram, if you're listening to this, sometimes what I'll do is I'll go through people's feeds. And if I mm -hmm. see that their work sort of all over the place, I'll just like select the ones, ones to yes. sort of send a message to be like, I think these four out of these 30 are super, super strong. Go do this. Yes. And every now and then, if I have a bit of a, you know, online relationship with somebody, I will message them and say, go over here because this part is so fantastic. So, and I think yeah. this is where you'll flourish, you know, and, and yes. I, you know, they have to feel it too. Like I'm not, I try not to be bossy, but sometimes I get so excited that I can't not be bossy because sure. you just see that promise. Like you said, like that yes. spark where you're like, Oh, oh my God, turn left yes. and it would be amazing. Yes. Well, and that's, that's what I always wished that, 
how we walk in someone else's studio, we can see exactly yeah. the strengths and the weaknesses. I wish for ourselves that if we could walk in our own studio and say, oh, this works, that doesn't, this works, paint it blue, drop <laughs> it down, you know, <laughs> cut that out, do move it left. You know, if we could do that to ourselves, we would all be such brilliant artists. I know. But we can, as we were talking before, you can see it for about 15 seconds and then clouds just go over your eyes, yeah. the love of your piece, the love of everything else. And the time and, then, and the money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what I, what I try and do, I, I try, I have this sort of split personality thing where the jealous curator and Danielle Krista are very separate in my mind. So mm -hmm. sometimes I'll look at my work and I'll think, would the jealous curator write about this? And if the answer is no, then I know the work's oh, not there. But if the oh. answer is, oh, hell, yes, yeah, she would. Like, oh, the jealous curator would love all these cigarette butts. She'd mm -hmm, be writing a mm -hmm. post in five seconds. I know to keep going You're in that coming. direction, yeah. right? Yep, yep, um, yep. Which is totally weird. Um, but hey, it works. Um, but I think that's why I just tore all this work apart because yes. the jealous curator wouldn't have written about that. That's why I started making everything white, you know, and putting the mm -hmm. little lights in there because I was like, oh, the jealous curator would love this. So I, I, I this. try and do that, but you're right. It's the, the, the fog then creeps back in. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So yes. I try and do it right when I first come down here. And if it stays too foggy, I leave. Yes. I go back. And I, I think you become, I've always thought everyone becomes a better artist and maybe it's not true. The more you look at other people's work, the, because your senses get really sharp is if you go to 50 studios or 50 galleries or 50 museums, your eye gets really good. And then you get to your own studio and then you're like, oh, this is not as good as I thought it was. Yeah. I've got to do better, yeah. you know. And, and that's the moment where you have to decide I've got to do better, not oh, I'm going to quit. Oh no, who quit? Me. Like after art school, that's what I did, right? I quit for 15 oh. years because I had that like, well, what's the point? Everything's better than I could ever do it. So oh. I just stopped. Yes. And now if I come back in the studio and I'm like, ah, oh, this isn't working, instead of being like throwing up my hands and being like, oh, those professors were right, I'm terrible, I just tear it apart or I try some experimenting. Yes. And again, like I said, it's taken till my 40s to figure that out. But, yes. you know, I want to be an artist. Do you want to be an yes. artist? Okay, well, then make art. Yes. You know, you're not going to be an artist if you quit. Yes. Um, so that's why I just keep showing up and trying stuff and, um, you know, trying to practice what I preach to everybody else. Absolutely. Yeah. And for art school, where did you go? Um, I went to the University of Victoria on Vancouver uh -huh. Island. And because... Did you I, stay there? I did. And that was a mistake because... I went there for marine biology, right? I had yes. researched marine biology, great school for marine biology. And then what I did was I just switched into fine art. What I should have done was research art schools <laughs> that and, were right uh, for me and, you know, whatever, because uh, it was super, super conceptual. And I was just too young. I, I should have gone to like Emily Carr or somewhere that at the time was sort oh, of yeah. more like would teach you the foundations. Like I needed to learn how to do stuff. and then get conceptual, but I didn't know. Oh, okay. You no. Know? So it was just the wrong school, but I didn't, I just switched majors. So that was a mistake. Well, that made, I mean, you know, shit happens, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. And, and it, it, 
<laughs> and did you have some good teachers? Yes, I did. I, um, uh, I had one printmaking teacher named George who I loved. He retired right as I was graduating. He didn't care about the concepts. He was very much, if your blacks are blacks and your whites are whites, you get an A. He was very process driven, which I <laughs> loved because uh, I am very type A and I could get those blacks, blacks and those whites, whites and get all my, you know, registration marks lined up. So I loved him. And then I had a professor named Elsbeth Pratt, who was, a, she's a sculptor, Canadian sculptor, but she taught a drawing class. Oh. And, uh, but she let you do whatever you wanted. So people were doing sculptures and she was like, well, as long as you draw the plan for the sculpture, oh, it, it, wow. could, it could work in drawing class. Right. So I was painting on objects. I was like painting on TVs, like things I'd find at the thrift shop. And, um, but I would draw it first so that it counted. And then, you know, and she was amazing. And in my third year, uh, she pulled me aside and said, you know, I think you should go to design school. And at first my feelings were really hurt because I was like, no, but I'm going to be an artist. And she just said, I think you are instinctively a designer. Like I always wanted to incorporate text. She said, you know, your compositions are always so well balanced. Your, your use of color is fantastic. And she said, I think you would love graphic design. And she's like, finish your BFA, like get your BFA. But she's like, you know, instead of grad school or whatever, I think you should look into design school. And, uh, she was also the person that after that terrible, terrible critique, when that teach, the painting teacher told me to never paint well, again. Well, we should, we should mention that because uh, yeah. some people may not know that and yeah, it will be helpful. Well, yeah. So, okay. So pause on Elsbeth. She comes back. So um, <laughs> I was a painting major and so painting was super important to me and the head of the painting department just didn't like me probably because I was not conceptual. Um, this was the early nineties. So it was very much like large abstracts. That's mm -hmm. what they wanted you to do was large abstracts. I did not want to do large abstracts. Large abstract, conceptual abstracts. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I know. Right. Okay. Um, there was, um, well, one girl, um, that everyone loved, she would wait till she had her period and then she would squat on the canvases and do like Rorschach, blood I should screen crap to your face right now <laughs> but everyone I thought you like, were gonna say something else oh, oh. no no <laughs> okay what did you think poop I thought she was gonna poop on the things <laughs> no. yes no but period blood roll around in it but no no Period pretty blood. bad too yeah okay but everyone right. loved that stuff right okay and okay. and I was just like I'm not going to do that <laughs> anyway well, uh, roll around in her poop or do your own yeah. poop? No. <laughs> <laughs> there would be no poop I wanted to paint butterflies at that stage Peter oh, so um funny. yeah butterflies so I did not poop. fit in at all but you know I just I loved art history. I minored in art history. And so I loved, I wanted to try like pointillism and like, I wanted to try all sure. these different techniques. You should be trying stuff in undergraduate school. You well, should try everything. I know. And, and that was, and that was not encouraged. Right. Um, yeah. It had to be very like conceptual. And I just remember being like, I was from a nice white middle-class 
family. You know, I had no <laughs> angst. I was like, I don't know. I just didn't know how to be conceptual and I had nothing to say. I was like, the worst thing that's happened to me is that I'm hung over from the pub night last night. Like that's the worst thing that's happened. And it was pretty fun, you know? So I just really had nothing to say. And then they really didn't want me to just be trying techniques. So I was very, very lost. I was not sure what to do. Um, I used to get my friend Paul to come over before crits. This changed everything. I went from getting C's and D's to like A's and B's because Paul was so full of shit. He's a criminal lawyer. He's a criminal lawyer now. Um, and he would come over the night before a crit and look at my work and make up what it was about. He'd make up some oh, like story. Right. And then I would go in with that story the next day and my grades went from yeah, like D's and C's to A's and B's because it, but it'd be the exact story. it'd be like a pointillism piece. But now there was a story with it, which is what they wanted at that time, oh. you know, oh, in the nineties and whatever. So anyway, that's how I graduated. Oh, that is so funny. That funny. is so funny. And I remember oh, being like, oh, I see how this works. <laughs> Oh, God. And then by that point, I was so angry and jaded, too, that I was just like, I wasn't even trying to be conceptual because I was just annoyed, you know, and by then 20 and thinking I knew everything. I mean, anyway, so the, the, this all came to a head right before I graduated. I, I had, I stopped working in the studios at school because I just hated being around. I only had a couple of friends and I just, you know, I hated being there. So I just worked in my little res room on my easel. And so I'd done these pieces that were abstract and um, brought them in for my final critique. And the prof that hated me loved them, loved them, said that I had found a new niche. I'd been, I'd been cutting pieces of the canvas out and then sewing them back on. And so he just loved them. So the following week, we had an um, artist coming from New York, which was a big deal in Victoria to have somebody. And he was someone yeah. we'd studied in um, like contemporary art history class, and he was coming to our school. So there was time for three people to show their work. Have I not told you this story? No. Oh, my God. I tell everyone this story. So um, three people could show their work, and uh, nobody, everybody was so nervous. And I just had this amazing crit and had apparently found a new niche. So I volunteered to show the same work the following week. So the next Thursday I showed up with the same pieces and I went first and it was supposed to be 10 minutes. It went for 30 minutes and I got ripped apart led by the prof who said that I had found a new niche. Just completely said it was awful and trite and and I was normally I was quite good at defending myself because I'd been defending myself for three years and I always tell students like that's a really good skill to have knowing how yeah. to speak about your work yeah. and defend your decisions and like yeah. that's that's all really well and good yeah but in this moment I was so embarrassed so well flabbergasted and, and flabbergasted yeah but then yeah have this visiting this visiting artist sitting there oh, too yeah. mixed yeah. with being blindsided um yeah. yeah that i could feel that if i said anything i was gonna cry you would break into tears and i was yeah. like i'm oh, not gonna yes, cry in front of these people this. like i'm not going no, to no and, no you um, can't can't go there no and so with uh like right before the 30 minutes was up he this professor my teacher said in front of everyone all of us were painting majors, um, quote, you should never paint again. 
oh yes of course this yeah. is the story oh yes so yeah. this is where this came i didn't know it was from the, in front of the new york person yeah yeah where it was like such a big deal and and it was also uh, just like i think if that had been a I one-off that's one thing yeah. but it was just it was at the it was end crescendo of, yeah. build and build and i didn't realize that the week before he had told you that you know, you were on new ground and that this had been really, I didn't know all that had been packed in there. Yeah. It was just sort of the perfect storm, you know? And then it was right before I graduated. So then there's no time to even redeem yourself. Like I graduated and moved home to my parents' basement in Guelph, Ontario. And I was just like, I'm surprised you ever came out of that basement. I stayed there for about a year. (laughs) Oh my God. But I mean, that's, that's really hard. That's harsh. That it is was so really harsh. brutal. Yeah. But then, so I still had five weeks to go. So let's bring Elspeth Pratt back in. So I was still in her drawing class. And I just, after that, I couldn't make anything. I just, I second guessed yeah. every decision. Yeah. I second guessed everything. Would. And so I still had stuff to do to finish to graduate. Right. And Elspeth said, what are you doing? Like you have so many projects. And I was just not doing anything able to do anything, and I lost it I just burst into tears in front of her and told her what happened and she was livid and she said you know what it has nothing to do with you whoever went first he would have done that he was showing off in front of this guy and but it was sort of like the damage was done like I couldn't yeah I couldn't couldn't even hear it no I couldn't even hear it and um Anyway, she was really amazing and nurturing and whatever. And she'd always been that way the whole time. So I did end up going to graphic design school and becoming a graphic designer, mainly because she had said, I think you would really, and and I did, I fit in at the school perfectly. I got, you you know, graduated at the top of my class. I got a job right out of like a week out of school. Um, And I wrote her a letter years later. I, I did the artist way. Have you ever done mm-hmm. the artist way? You know mm-hmm. that book. You don't know that book, Peter? It's crazy. The artist way, it's sort of like, a, you can just read it, but it's set up like a 12-week course. Um, and no, so, I don't know it at all. Yeah. Gosh, sorry. I'm, so, well, I'm sorry. You don't need to do it because you've you're you're fine. But um, it's good for people who are trying to sort of find their way. The okay. lady's a little bit crazy. So you have to skim it. You have to read it and edit out the crazy as you go but it's a really good book and um one of the things it says to do is to write a thank you letter to somebody who has impacted you along the way and either mail it or don't mail it you know but have the experience of saying thank you so I wrote it to Elspeth and then I found out where she was teaching and sent it to that school and said could you please give this to Elspeth Pratt so she got my letter like 18 years later saying you might not remember me, but you were a huge, Oh, that's hurt, nice. you know, and then she ended up being, I, I interviewed her for my big, important art book now with women. Oh, that's so Isn't sweet. Isn't that so oh, cool? Nice, nice circle. Very nice full circle. circle. Very full circle. Yeah. You know? And I also don't begrudge that teacher because you hear that five zillion times. Every, so many people have stories like that. And if it weren't for that experience, I wouldn't be where I am right now. I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have had that creative block and met my inner critic so, so intimately and been able to come out of it and create Dell's curator and to write the books. And, you know, Greg always says he loves it when I 
talk on the podcast with other artists because he's like, you get it because you've lived it. Yeah. You know, and, and it so sounded glad. almost it almost sounded like you needed to experience life a little bit so I that did. Your art really would have its depth. Absolutely. Because, yeah. yeah. I had nothing to say, you know, which is why I didn't yeah. go to grad school um, right away. And I always thought if I did go to grad school, I'd want to do it at 40. Yeah. Because yeah. I needed to have some life under me. Um, yeah. And, you know, some yeah. people go right away and that's fine for them. I just knew for me, it, yeah. it, it wasn't, wouldn't be the right time. So yeah. I'm glad the way yeah. that the past is gone. Yeah. It's yeah. So, um, well, that's really good. And um how did you meet your curator husband? <laughs> we met at my first job at IBM. Oh, and IBM is where you where you what, got your first uh, job. That was my right first out job of- was at IBM, and he was a programmer. Oh, really? I was a designer, and he was the programmer I had to work with to get my to turn my design into code, basically. And um, I thought he was very cute, but he's three years younger than me. So I was like, no way. I know oh, who cares? my own age. I was like, forget honey, it. Honey, wow. I know. But he, and I had a boyfriend at the time, but he. Oh, uh, drop the boyfriend and go for the program. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I always say like, we fell in love under the, you know, the gray cubicles and the flicker of the fluorescent lights at IBM. <laughs> like, how can you not fall in love, right? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yes. And where were you at this that, point? Are you, that was in are Toronto. You in Vancouver? Oh, now you're in Toronto. Yeah. So I graduated from UVic, moved to my parents' basement in Ontario. I spent that year crying. And oh. um, my dad, God love him, said <clears throat> when I first got home, he said, Don't get a summer job. Let me buy you. I'll be your patron. I'll buy you canvases and paint and just get oh. your show back. And I tried, but you know, it didn't work. So I just worked a bunch of odd jobs and <clears throat> I was his, my dad's receptionist for a bit. I worked for a sign painting company and I did all these random things and tried to decide if I was going to go to grad school or if I should go to design school. And so I ended up volunteering at like a little local design agency, like Tuesday and Thursday mornings, just so I could see if I see. liked yeah. it. And mm-hmm. I loved it. And so I ended oh. up applying to um, Sheridan College in Ontario um, and uh, Emily Carr Design in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And I got into both. And so I picked Sheridan to do new media. This is in 1996. That meant websites. <laughs> and I oh. figured it would be the wave of the future. So it would guarantee me a job. And luckily I was right. And um, yeah. yeah, so it was yeah. just a one-year post-grad intensive um, program and uh yeah I got hired like at IBM right out of like I'd been out of school for a week when I started wow mm-hmm. wow and, and it was all of us did because nobody in the world knew how to make websites and <laughs> every company wow. wanted a website so all of us were like scooped right up it was perfect timing and um and uh and what did you get out of it for your own artwork do you think being a designer. All these, yep. Yep. I think that was where I really honed everything, like my taste. Um, and Elswith was right. Like I, I really had a good sense for composition. I really had a good sense for color and communicating ideas in, you know, and, and I was allowed to be funny in art school. They, they did not want me to be funny. Um, I think it didn't, I tell you no, that he, the no, guy no. said to me, um, the same teacher, he'd said, um, 
because I was bringing a lot of humor into my work. And he said, you know, um, look, this is a quote, look, it's bad enough that you're a woman, but if you try and bring humor into your work too, you'll really never be taken seriously as an artist. Oh my, oh my. So I tried well, to, I just stripped any humor out. So when I got into advertising, humor, that's what they want in so yeah. many situations, right? Yeah. So I really got to be me in that environment for a really long time. And so once I started working in advertising, because I left IBM, I actually did, and I, I did Second City Improv. <laughs> Oh, wow. And uh, when I was doing improv, I met this guy named Paul Lavoie, who was the owner of Taxi Advertising, which is like one of the best ad agencies in Canada, still is. Um, he was in our class and he thought I was hilarious. And he said, um, this was in 2000, and all of their clients were asking for websites. And he's like, we don't know how to do that, but you work at IBM do you know how to do that? And I said, yes. And he said, and you're funny and you're quick. And can we hire you to be taxi interactive? So I went over there, just me by myself. They hired Greg six months later to be the programmer. So he let, he was at, we met at IBM, came to taxi and that's where we sort of cut our teeth in this whole like thing and um, kind of didn't look back. And so once I was at taxi, and surrounded by amazing creative people and people who were going to art shows. And, you know, like one of the designers I worked with, her husband was like an amazing artist. They had his own gallery. And so I started getting exposed to this stuff again. So I started making um, art again. Um, I lived by myself. Greg and I didn't live together till we got married. And um, I had a little tiny closet. And I would make stuff in there. And then I would throw it away. Because, I mean, and not to, I always say like, not to make light of eating disorders at all, but it was like creative bulimia. I would like make this stuff and then throw it away before anyone saw it. Because okay. I was mortified for anyone to know that I was making art. Because wow. I was never supposed to paint again. And here I was painting again, you know? And so. But your dad was encouraged. I, I don't know. I, I would, when I was making it, I was so happy. And like, I'd finish all the stuff at, you know, I'd work till three in the morning and I'd be like, Oh my God, I love all this stuff. And then I'd go to bed and I'd wake up in the morning and I'd go peek in the little studio closet and I would see it. And in the light of day, I would be like, this is so stupid. What's the point? You know, I should never paint again. And I would stack it all up and throw it out. I don't know how many times I did that. And were they small paintings or were yeah. they small? Oh, really? Small paintings. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That wow. went on for years. Um, yeah. Wow. That it's amazing. That really damaged you. It's amazing to me how so many artists have so many rules when art is supposed to be this open, free, you know, just anything is, anything's art, anything goes, anything is, because that's what art is supposed to be. But then, and maybe it's the artists that are maybe not, they're trying to define it so well for themselves that they just box themselves into a corner. Or, and, you know, I think sometimes too, it's that even if they don't realize it consciously, it's things that have been said by other people. You know, like, to, like to them. Yeah. Like, 
oh, Bob Ross is silly. Okay, I can't do landscapes, even though I love landscapes, but you know, people make fun mm. of that. So I can't do that. Or, and then they decide that that's a rule. Or, you know, somebody says, oh, humor, you know, art can't be funny. So you're like, oh, okay. And you just start taking all of those little all bits things. of things and, and you start boxing yourself in like with this like band-aided patchwork box of these things that aren't true. But so depending sad. on when you hear them in your life, you take them as truths and you apply them, you know, and it, you, you have to break free of all that. That's what I was saying at the beginning, like just figuring out really who you are, what you mm -hmm. like. If you mm -hmm. like pink, use pink in everything unapologetically. Yeah. Who cares <laughs> if people think it's Barbie-ish or whatever? It, yeah. you, just do, just do what you want to do, you know? Yeah. And life is too short. Life's too short. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because you'll turn around and it'll be gone it's yeah. so it's so so sad well why did you end up leaving uh uh toronto um we left um because i'd grown up on the west coast and we had been married for about a year and we wanted to have a baby we thought and we lived right downtown toronto downtown toronto our we worked 80 hours a week in advertising and yeah. I, it just didn't seem conducive to like having I mean, no, I child. I, you know, I couldn't, I said to Greg, when was the last time you saw a stroller? He goes, well, there's that lady in our building who walks her bunny. And I'm like, okay, that's oh. not a baby. <laughs> she had this like diamond leash on this black rabbit and she would take it for walks. I'm like, that's not a baby. That's a lady with a black rabbit and a diamond leash. So, and I mean, I know people have babies in Toronto, but it just, we, our lifestyle was so like advertising and parties and events and I just couldn't picture yeah. having a baby. So we decided to move to Vancouver and I got a job as a creative director at an agency in Vancouver. And then Greg got hired there too. We've, we're, a package, we're a package deal. And then um, about a year into that job, I got pregnant with Charlie. And um, of course in Canada, we get a year long mat leave. And Aww. about six months into that year leave, I was like, I can't go back. I can't go and sell cell phones and, you know, write ad like do ads for, like, I just don't care. I just don't care. And so, um, God love them. Greg kept working and, uh, I ended up being an at-home mom for five years. Oh, and that's, oh. and Jell's curator started, I started it when Charlie was about two and a half. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and how'd you get that name? Jealous curator? Well, <laughs> I was, I was having a really hard time um, because being at home with him, you know, I sort of saw it as maybe my moment to start being creative again. And mm -hmm. so I started Googling around and like looking, you know, and Etsy, I think had just been born, you know, I'm like looking at all like this art online. Um, and I just was overwhelmed with jealousy. I just felt like everything oh. had been done and everything was just so good and I could never be that good. And I was jealous of people's art and I was jealous of their studios and I was jealous that they were getting shows and um, it, it was just eating me alive. And so Greg and I were out for our first lunch date since he'd been born. I think Charlie was like two and a half and, uh, and I was crying and talking about this over dim sum. Oh. And Greg said, you know, you're letting this jealousy eat you alive. And he said, I think you should start a blog. Blogs were, this was like 2008 and blogs were like kind of all the rage. And he said, why don't you just start something? Not, not that anybody will read, but just for yourself, like just to figure out what it is you like. Cause I was all over the map. You know, I was copying somebody who did this and then I'd get distracted and go over here. And 
I just couldn't find my own voice. And so he said, well, why don't you, he, you know, being the programmer that he is, he said, he likes to look for patterns. So he said, why don't you just start collecting all the art you love instead of in a bookmarks list, which I had, which was like 12 feet long. He said, visually collect it. And like, maybe you'll start to see a pattern in the things you like. Like maybe there'll be a common color palette or maybe there'll be a common theme and, you know, it'll help you figure out what you want to be making. And then very gently, he also said, and he said, you know, <laughs> this and. jealousy thing is driving you nuts. And he said, if you, I, I always quote him on this. He said, you know, if you keep jealousy inside, it becomes poison. Like it just, it's, it poisons you from the inside out. But he said, if you can say it out loud in a positive way, you can turn it into admiration. And then that's why I over dim sum, like the branding expert in me was like, oh, I'll call it the jealous curator because I was so jealous, but I wanted to curate the work. Um, and so for the longest time, my tagline was, um, damn, I wish I thought of that because that's how I knew I would have tomorrow's <laughs> post. If I saw something that I loved and I thought, Oh, I wish I'd made that. Um, I changed it a few years ago cause I thought that was too negative. I changed it to, um, turning jealousy into get your ass back in the studio inspiration. <laughs> because you can you can use jealousy as long as you do it in a positive way and not you're not angry about it which I was right and so that's um and then yeah I wrote that first post that was all society's view blah 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 <laughs> and then so I changed it and I just would write really what I thought and the wonderful thing about starting a blog is no one knows it exists you're just writing into the void for the first like at least three or four months right so it let me really sort of figure out a lot of stuff and I really quickly felt that jealousy just like evaporate. And I felt like I lost a hundred pounds off my shoulders, you know, and started realizing that, wow, there's so much great stuff out there. So much so in fact that I can make stuff too. You know, why not? If all wow. these people are wow. represented by galleries, wow. you know, why can't I, yes. you know, do what I want to do and find my people. I don't have to find, not everyone has to love it. Just, some people have to love it and I'll just go find yeah. them. And yeah. uh, that was 12, almost, yeah, 12 years ago. And where were you looking for all these people? Where were you seeing all this work? Well, this was time, before, Daniel? this was before Instagram or anything like that. So I would just Google um, galleries in New York and then I'd get a mm -hmm. whole bunch of results. <laughs> and then I would just go through every gallery website and if they repped a hundred artists, I would go through all 100 of them. Until oh my I had gosh. That gut feeling of, oh, I wish I made that. And if I didn't, I remember going through one gallery, a hundred, a hundred people didn't find one to write about. But I remember thinking, but they're all repped by a gallery in New York, which means that there's room for everyone. You just have to find the right gallery or the right buyers or the right people because right match. Yeah. And it was a huge aha moment to just be like, you know what, there's something for everyone and not everyone's going to love everything and that's okay. And yeah. so then that's when I started dabbling and I, I didn't start, I didn't paint. I, I went into collage because collage is so similar to graphic design mm. for me, mm. I think. Yes. And I love pop culture imagery and stuff. So I started, and I still had the, you should never paint again floating around back there. Oh. So um, collage was kind of my gateway back into making and in tandem with being the Jaws curator, because, you know, it was sort of giving me the freedom to just make and play again. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh gosh. Um, I almost lost my place here. I was so enraptured. Um, 
Okay, one of the things I love about your collage is, is the space that you allow others to move around in within the piece. You don't dictate exactly what needs to be said or learned from each piece. That said, that said, Danielle, mm -hmm. do you have this desire or breakaway theme that you're working, do you have that theme or do you have a theme now that you're working on for this next big body of work? You know, because you didn't really, you allowed people, you only gave them half the information with the, with the collages. But now with this new body of work, without exposing completely what it is, because I know you're holding it really close to your chest, which I totally agree with. Do you have a, a theme with this next body of work? Well, this is, this has been like, this is why I'm so happy. I met you when we met because this is the first, you know, when they kept trying to make me be conceptual in university, this is the first time I feel like I've actually had something to say mm -hmm. that's really personal. Like my collages mm -hmm. were fun and, you know, light and a great way back into making this stuff is so personal. Um, and I mean, for me, it's a lot about the, the um, being a woman and um, the trials and tribulations around all of the, the physical stuff and the emotional stuff that comes with, you know, all the inner workings that make us ladies. Um, but I also don't care if anyone gets it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I think... I think people are going to take different things away. Like I have posted like little corners of things on Instagram and people will instantly say, Oh my gosh, I, I feel like I'm in my grandmother's house, which I love mm. because I yes, use my yes. grandmother into everything that I've done. And so if, if it makes them feel like whisks them back to their grandmother's powder room, great. Mm -hmm. And that makes them feel good and gives them a good memory. Great. If someone who's had a hysterectomy looks at it and goes, oh my God, like, yes, I feel that emptiness inside or what, you know, great. I'm glad that they took that from it. If, you know, so I, or if they just look at it and think it feels very feminine and um, mysterious or, you know, sexy or sexual in some way, great. Um, you know, so I'm sort of infusing all of that, but I, for the first time, I don't have this you know, in advertising, people are supposed to get what you're saying. Otherwise, yes, your yes. ad doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Or yes. the brand that you're trying to commit, it doesn't work. So I've had that in me for, you know, decades of, because of my job. This is the first time that I'm totally okay with people finding their own way through it. Mm -hmm. um, but I've, it's been like, so meditative for me because so many of the things are taking me a really long time. Like these cigarettes, I will sit here for five hours and just roll clay into mm. cigarette shapes. Then I mm. have to come back to the studio about four hours later to squish them, to bend them, to make them look like I'm stamping them out. Can't oh, do it too wonderful. soon. You can't do it too late or they harden or they're yes. too squishy. Yes. I have never taken my time, PETA, ever. <laughs> I'm such a quick, uh, like, um, instant yes. gratification. Move, move, move. Yeah. yeah. And so I've had to be really slow. And so I was working on some cigarettes the other day. I wonder if you're going to remember this. Do you remember? So my grandma was an Avon lady 
do you remember the little white lipstick samples that they had? They were like little tiny mini lipsticks and that you could get them as samples. And so they, you could try different colors. Yes, I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah, yeah, And so yeah. she had this room in her house where we called it the Avon room, where all of the makeup she hadn't sold would go. And so um, me and my girl cousins and my sister, we would go through all these tiny little white lipsticks. So because I'm giving myself time to just make and just sit here and roll clay, um, I was doing this for hours and I was like, oh my gosh, because before I paint them, they're just these little white sticks. And I was like, these totally remind me of my Grammy's little lipstick samples. So then I was looking up Avon lipstick colors from that time. And so I've started painting some of the um, cigarettes light pink on the end instead of the orange filter. I've been... Um, and like, I've been naming the cigarettes, the different palettes that I'm making after the lipsticks that were that color, you know? So it's like, um, petal pink and you know, all these different things <laughs> and nobody has to know that like that yes. doesn't matter. Right. But for me, it infuses my grandma a little bit more. It yes. brings in that, that idea of being a woman and like, you know, wanting to, wanting to go through that cupboard so badly and smell all the smells and, um, wanting to grow up so fast, wanting yeah. my period, wanting to be a mom, wanting all these yeah. things that have now like caused me, like, I'm glad that I had my period and got, became a mom, but to have all this pain now associated with the hysterectomy yeah. and all the years of chronic pain. Um, so anyway, I, I don't care that people aren't going to get the reference to the Avon lipsticks. But to me, because I'm going slow, because I have hours to sit here and make cigarettes or I have hours to dip flowers in paint and wait for them, literally watching paint dry, it gives me time to think, which I've never allowed myself. I've never given myself time to think because I'm just go, 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 quick, next thing, next thing, next thing. And the way I worked was like that, the way I, everything. And this has been meeting you and having you tell me slow down experiment if you throw stuff out you throw stuff out you know and it gives me these moments of meditation almost mm -hmm. to come up with new things and it's been really like such a life-changing experience and i'm just so grateful that the universe dropped you in Put my us lap. together yeah Put us together. Yeah. It's been, you know, I been... almost stopped the, the podcast. I, I was thinking of stopping the podcast right before I had you on. Oh, wow. And I was saying to Greg, imagine if I hadn't ever met PETA. Like all this work, all this thinking the way I'm thinking now and pushing myself and slowing down. And I never would have had that. Wow. It's, it's interesting how life changes us, you know, and moves the way it's supposed to move, yeah. right? The universe knows so much more than we do. Mm -hmm. I always think that, you know, just trust the universe. It, yeah. it goes. No, I'm and, so thankful. And I don't yeah. know where, like I always say to you, you know, I don't know where this is going. I don't know. I mean, I hope I get to show it to humans one day. Um, oh, but in will. the meantime, I'm, I am loving everything yeah it's well and the work's just growing every time we meet it's like whoa yeah it's and that's and that's so fun for me to see 
the great, great changes because uh, I just love, love, love that. And it's so great too, because you are on the way other side of the, you know, Canada. And, um, and that's so fun to like drop into your studio and then, <laughs> you know, drop back out and drop back, you know, I, I can't wait till I can drop into your actual studio and we can like the thought of being like going to galleries with you in New York. Oh, it'll be so much fun. fun. Yeah. It'll be really fun. I can hardly wait for this pandemic to be I over. Know. Yeah. It won't be longer, but one other couple other things, but what about uh, you? You mentioned your grandmother so often. What did she mean to you? She just, we were um, soul sisters, kind of. Like, you know, they say certain things skip generations. Yeah. So my Grammy was just hilarious and creative. And not, she wasn't a painter, but she, she was a quick change lady at the um, uh, Ottawa Art Center. So she was oh. backstage quick changing people. And so she met ballerinas and comedians. And, um, and then she was an Avon lady for a while. And so she always had great costume jewelry and you know cool clothes and um she her name is blanche how fabulous is that blanche oh my gosh um, oh my gosh and then my mom my mom's plan was to be a nun before she met my dad oh my gosh yeah and so um my grammy was pretty wild and when she was young you know <laughs> my mom was so straight and then i was pretty wild and so my mom didn't get me because of that. Like she was just like, ah, why do you always have to be out? Why do you always have to be at a party where when she was younger, my Grammy would be like, why aren't you at a party? Why aren't you? you know? So we just really got each other, you know? And, uh, so she, and when she was, she had cancer and when she was dying, she lived in Ottawa and I lived in Toronto. And so I was one of the close, like I was closest. Um, right. Distance right. Wise. So I spent a lot of time with her during that Aww. time. And um, she was, she's just a funny, awesome, amazing lady. And after she died, um, I felt her around all the time. I could always, I, I just felt her all the time. And then um, I went to a psychic for fun. There was this like um, Cajun restaurant in Toronto where you could get your um, tarot cards read, you know, before appetizers or whatever. And I walked in and this lady was insane. She knew, like, I didn't even say anything. And she knew all this stuff. And one of the things she said was, um, oh, you have a guardian angel. And I said, oh, and I said, who is it? And she said, oh, it's exactly who you think it is. It's your maternal grandmother. And I said, oh, and she said, did you call her granny? And I said, yep. And she said, yeah, she's standing right behind you. Wow. And so this happened, like I had, I, I was at an art show a few years ago in LA and I had an, a medium from Norway walk up behind me. Um, she'd bought a piece of mine and then she wandered over and we were chatting and, um, and then she started kind of looking over my shoulder. Like, you know, when people are done talking to you and they start, yes. <laughs> yes. And you, like, they're like, are you looking for someone more important? To yeah, speak to exactly. than me? <laughs> and that's why I was like, okay, I guess we're done. And she said, uh, she said, I'm so sorry. Um, but she said, you're, she said, I, I would never normally do this in a social situation, but she said, but I'm a medium and your grandmother is standing right behind you. And she's so loud. And she's oh. like, I can't even hear you because she's so 
she so badly wants me to tell you stuff. So she said, I can either tell you what she's saying or I have to walk away because I can't even hear anything. And I love that stuff. So I was like, yeah, tell me. And so she said, well, I don't get this because I'm, I just bought one of your pieces. A friend of mine had pushed me into showing some of my collages. Like I did not want to, but at this show, my friend forced me to do it. It was her gallery. And so this medium had bought one of the pieces and she said, I don't understand this because I just bought one of your works, but your grandmother is saying she's quite annoyed with you because you're not taking your artwork seriously and it's your destiny. And she wants you to get more serious about it. And she said, does that make sense to you? And I said, yes. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and that was maybe four years ago, five, three, three or four years ago. And so she's just around, you know, and so, so she I, must be happy now. I think she is. Um, her address was 54 Oval Drive. And so I see 54s everywhere, oh. especially when I should be in the studio and I'm screwing around on the computer or something. Every time I'll look at the clock and it's 954, 154, oh, 54 gosh. seconds left on my timer for coffee or whatever, which is her going, stop screwing around and get down there. Get into your studio. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So Blanche is around and she's loud. Yeah. Oh, I love that Blanche. I love that name. Well, I'll just ask you one more question, then I'll let you go because I've held you. I know we were supposed to do an hour. I have no idea what time it is. Oh. I know. I feel so bad. I, you, you were supposed to go hours ago. Okay. Well, here's the last big question. Okay. If you could have anything with all the materials and all the labor free and laid at your feet, what would you do for your art? Oh what would God. you make? I would want to fill a whole, I want to paint a room light, light, light pink. Okay. Like a womb okay. <laughs> slash Grammy color. And I would want to fill it with all, all of this. I want like we were talking about like having the bird cages connected to that, like almost like a, just to fill the entire room so that people would have to like, not just see it on the wall, but like walk through it and duck under things and actually feel caught up in all of it. Yeah. And how, we're not going to describe it, but how big a room are you thinking of or how big of a room would you ideally love to have this room? I wouldn't want it to be huge, huge, because I want it to feel mm -hmm. intimate and mm -hmm. warm. Um, I'd love to do it in Venice. Venice would be like with the water and stuff. Yeah, like, and just like, and the, and the altars, be? you know, and yes. I always love Europe because it smells like perfume and cigarettes. Yes. And my work smells like perfume and well, it doesn't smell like cigarettes, but it smells like perfume because I buy all these old things from thrift shops and it smells like that. And so I just, and I have such a heart, part of my heart was left in Venice. You know, I just love it. Yes. So if I could, you know, and just the ornament and the everything is so swirly and um, detailed and this work is starting to be like that, you know, with gold trim here and there, it would be amazing to have a space in Venice that I could just fill to the brim with all of this, these artifacts kind of, you know? Yes. Yes. That's the well, dream, dream, dream. Well, I, 
I know you're going to do that, Danielle. I know you're going to do that. Focus on that. Now that you've said it, once it's out loud, and now if you write it down in your book, you will get there. That's yeah. it. That's it. Done. You know, because they say, if you write it down and say it out loud, they say 99% get there. Yeah, so, I believe that. I've done that in the past, done. and it does it does work. Yeah. Okay, so, time to write it down. Uh, Peter, that was so awesome. Thank you. Thank you. You are an excellent podcast host. Oh, uh, you're (laughs) such a wonderful person to interview. You're so interesting, Danielle. So interesting. Thank you so much. Well, that was a great, I've been struggling with, what do I do for the 200th episode? What do I do? What do I do? And this is going to be so good. The best. I just loved it. So good. Well, thank you for taking oh. all that time. I know your husband oh. is probably like, where, where the, the hell is she? Is she? <laughs> yeah. Where the fuck is she? Yeah, I know you're supposed to be us. home two hours ago. Okay. So thank you so, so much. I'm letting you go. And oh. um, again, I just, I love and our time together. Do you have a telephone number if I ever wanted to actually call you? Yes. Oh, because I thought one time I really wanted to call you and I don't have a telephone number. I don't have a number to text you with text. No text. Of course. Of course. I know I'm shaking my head with sadness. I'm shaking my head with sadness of you not having that number. Yes, you can text me. I will send you all of that and you look at your junk folder and you'll find it. Oh, I know. Okay. I'm hanging up on you, Peter, because you, we're okay. going to talk for okay. another hour and you're never going to okay. get home. All right. Bye, sweetie. Thank you. Tell Bye. Greg and Charlie I said goodbye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Tell, Lamar I, tell Lamar I said sorry. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> oh, Peta. Seriously, we are incapable of only talking for an hour. There's just so much to say. I still have more things to say that I almost put at the end of this episode, but I thought, no, no, Danielle, control yourself. These people have things to do with their day. Well, you guys, that's that. Episode 200 is officially in the can. I love this so much, and I hope that you did too. I think my favorite part was the fast lane to the zone discussion. Those 15 seconds when you first look at your work from the day before, what's working, what isn't, It is really hard to do that with your own work, but I love the idea of tapping into your gut instinct or heart instinct. (sighs) I just love her so much. Oh, I also love the moment when I mentioned math and the connection just completely dropped. So dramatic. (laughs) Now, I've mentioned that I'm keeping my most recent work close for a little bit longer as I figure stuff out, tear things apart, rebuild, and experiment but there are a few things that I can show you. The post on my site kind of looks like an old photo album, actually, from my days as a seven-year-old brownie. I only signed up because of the crafts. Um, Two pictures of stumpkins. As soon as I googled a photo of the how-to book, I felt an uncontrollable urge to make one. That might be my plan for the weekend. Anyway, pop over to my site, thejealouscurator.com, for all of that goodness. And yes, I'm going to encourage you to become a member of the No Such Thing as Too Much Art Society again. You guys, I am having so much fun sending out this daily art-filled newsletter. I promise you it is not too much. 
Each email only has two chunks, a featured artist and an artsy little tidbit for each day, from Motivation Monday to Art Flick Friday. The Society is almost 800 members strong so far, and from what they're telling me, it's the best thing in their inbox. So, I mean, I don't know. It's pretty good, right? Ooh, and I just had club badges made. I am so excited to get them back from the embroiderers and into my shop. Anyway, you can sign up for the No Such Thing as Too Much Art Society on my site if you'd like to. And if you do, I'll see you in your inbox on Monday morning. Thank you so much to my amazing friend, Peter, for coming back onto the podcast, this time as the host. And thank you guys for listening to 200 episodes. So much has happened since I started the podcast. The most recent bit of news being that Art for Your Ear is now part of the CoLoop Podcast Network. What is CoLoop, you ask? It's a network of creative podcasts designed to fuel your creativity. Yep, I could not be more proud to be part of this new venture by Andy J. Pizza and Ryan Appleton. And on that note, I'm going to say thank you again for listening, and there will be more Art for Your Ear next weekend. See you then.